uh, we're moving through the book of First Peter in this series that we're calling uh, The Pilgrim's Life. And the core idea of the book and the series is that Christians are pilgrims. And we're to live as pilgrims in this world. The Apostle Peter calls us as exiles. And the reason for that is because because of our sin, we were cast out of our homes from God. But through the gospel, God is now bringing us back home to him. <clears throat> and so we, we're, we're on our way home. And yet we're still in this exile. We're still in this broken world. So the Christian life is really a life in the middle. That is, we're no longer of the world, but we're still in the world, right? We belong to the city of God, but we still reside in the city of man. And so what does that mean? Well, the past few weeks, we've started to unpack a bit about what that means. It's a life intention, right? It's a life of hope and a mission. It's a life of adversity, and yet the possibilities of overcoming it have been given us. Are you starting to get that? Because unless we understand this vital aspect of our Christian life, then we'll never really understand our own lives. We'll, we'll never really finish well. It's crucial that we get this, absolutely crucial. And I hope you're starting to get it because, uh, frankly, the passage today is going to be a bit harder to grasp. <laughs> it's a paradox, but it's absolutely vital. Let me read you this passage from 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This Lord of the Lord. Now, you'll notice that the whole section talks about the principle of submission. Uh, all the way, actually, until next week's passage, you'll see that. Verse 13, uh, citizens, submit to the authorities. Verse 18, uh, slaves, submit to your masters. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, 
uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, someone may say, ah, that is such a regressive and oppressive idea that you know, they should just keel over and obey. Now, before you say that, let me first say that Peter is not saying what you're thinking he's saying. He's actually saying something maybe even more offensive to the modern ear. He's saying something much more radical. But it's not oppressive. It's absolutely liberating, profoundly liberating. Why? Well, the key is in verse 16. If you look at that, it says, in the same sentence, Peter says, live as free people. And then immediately he says, live as God's slaves. And that's the basis for the whole thing. Peter is saying, we are free servants. Now, right away, when you read that, you say, huh? I did tell you that today's passage is a bit, a bit harder to grasp because it's a paradox, but it's, it's one of those, the most liberating aspects of being a Christian. So let's unpack that today. Let's ask Peter a few questions here. Let's ask what he means. What is a free servant, Peter? What do you mean? And what are they free from? And what do they serve for? Right? All right, let's ask Peter. What is a free servant, Peter? Because here he says in verse 16, you Christians are God's slaves who are free. Now, that sounds like a mistake. That sounds like a misnomer. How can I be free if I'm a slave and I'm submitting myself to other people? How would that be? Well, Peter is saying something you know, quite foreign to our cultural understanding of freedom and submission. That's why it's a bit confusing. And since we live inside this culture, uh, it's going to take a bit, a bit of work to clear away that cultural fog before we start to understand what Peter is trying to say. First of all, Peter is not saying, you submit because you're less important. He's not saying that. If you think Peter is reinforcing the uh, lower quality of slaves and wives, then you're reading it wrong. You're taking it out of context. What's the context? Well, a few verses back, verse 9. Peter talks to the same people, the same citizens, slaves and wives, and what does he say? He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. See, Peter is not saying you submit because you are the lowly ones, you are the weak ones, you are the unimportant ones. No, Peter goes the other way. He says you're exalted, and that's why you submit. That's why you go down, be a servant. You don't go up, you, don't, you go down. See, the culture at that time, the Greeks said, you slaves, you are just bodies that we can throw to the task. The Romans said, you slaves, you're just things that we can use. And therefore, submit, submit, you slaves. Now, you go now to our culture, and we say, ah, but we have progress from that. We don't treat people like that anymore. Yes, but we're still stuck with the idea that submission is all about a power struggle. That is, those at the top get their way. <laughs> but if you're the one who is less powerful, less capable, less intelligent, less influential, then you have no choice but to submit to the ones at the top. And so when our culture reads the biblical command to submit, immediately it's interpreted to mean that the wives and the slaves are less 
than the masters and the husbands. And so that's why we find it offensive. But see, the Bible doesn't say that at all. In fact, Peter goes the other way. He's, he, he's saying the Greeks got it wrong, the Romans got it wrong, and by the way, our culture gets it wrong because we're telling you to submit. God is calling us to submit, not because you are nobodies, but it's because you are part of his royal family. It's because you're sons and daughters of the Most High. You are servants, yes, but make no mistake, you're servants of the eternal God. No one less than that. And therefore, you submit. Because submission is not a loss of dignity. It's not less, it's more. You're exalted. Submission is not less dignity. It's a measure of your true greatness. Because in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. Do you see how strange that sounds to our culture? It's quite foreign. It's quite different. It's different. We're different. Because we're pilgrims. We don't belong to the kingdom of men. We belong to another kingdom. Now, the second thing to say that we need to clear up is, for the Christian, submission is not about a restriction of freedom. It's not less, it's more. See, Peter says, submit yourselves. Why? Not in spite of being free, but because you're free people. Live as free people, Peter says. Now, how can that be? How would that be? Well, it's a bit confusing because we understand, society understands freedom as, you know, you're not obligated for anything. I'm free to do anything I want. I, I keep all my options open. I get to decide what I want to do. No commitments, no obligations, no responsibilities, no promises. I'm free. <laughs> That's how we define freedom. But wait, think about that for a minute. Because if we say we're free that way. No one controls me. I follow no one but myself. I'm free. Then guess what? That only means I'm following myself. I'm following whatever it is my strongest desire is at this moment. And those desires, by the way, have been largely conditioned by your digestion, by the weather, by your genes, by your culture, by your family, by the media, and the other 99% of life which you have absolutely no control over. You're just a product of forces that you don't even recognize most of the time. See, you're not as free as you think you are, are you? In fact, the Bible says, sin has hijacked control of my heart. It seized control. It's shaping my desires. It's shaping my emotions. It's directing my thoughts. And by the way, while sin is yanking us around the neck, sin is also telling you, hey, you're a free guy, aren't you? You're your own master. No one tells you what to do. So all the while, sin is deceiving us, calling this slavery a freedom. Or... Just let me, let me just ask you this. Let me just be very practical here. If we're so free, then why do you keep doing the things that you don't want to do anymore? Why aren't you doing the things that you know you should be doing? Why aren't you as loving and as kind as you want to be? Why are you not living up to your fullest potential? See, the Bible says the reason is because sin has you by the throat and it's enslaving you. So for us to say, I won't submit to anyone, I won't submit to this and that person, 
what you're really saying is, I won't submit because my ego won't let me do it, because my pride won't let me do it, because sin won't let me do it. You're not as free as you think you are. But see, that's why the gospel is good news, because the gospel says that through Christ and what he has done, the chains of sin have been broken. We're free from the power of sin. Sin can't yank us around anymore because Jesus has set us free from that and made us servants of God, slaves of God. We're chained to another master. And therefore, as his servant, we're now free to become who we were meant to be. Being God's servant means you can rise above the limitations that are being imposed on you by sin. You're not destined to a certain path because of your past anymore. You're not just a product of desires and forces out there. You can break free from the mold of this world. You can go against the current. Even as all of the world is conditioning you to claw your way up, you are free to go down, to walk the path of real greatness, to serve, to be a servant, and to submit yourself as a servant to other people. See, Martin Luther, in one of his essays, he puts it like this. He says, a Christian is a perfectly free lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. And these two, two theses seem to contradict each other, but both are Paul's own statements, who says in 1 Corinthians 9, 9, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. This is the paradox of Christian freedom and service, isn't it? It's a paradox. See, for the Christian, it's not freedom or service. It's not freedom or submission. It's both. It's not 50-50. It's fully both in God. And we get confused at times because the world calls slavery a freedom, and it calls this freedom a slavery. <laughs> but this is exactly why the Bible says the act of submission is this powerful and practical exercise of our freedom in Christ. Live as free people and serve. Now, how does that exactly work? What, what, what does that mean? Well, let's ask, what are we being free from? What does this freedom mean for us? Now, if you look at verse 13 and 18, Paul, Peter says, you submit to the authorities, you submit to your masters. Now, look, Peter's not saying that slavery is good, right? Just as much as Peter is not saying that the government back then was perfectly just and right. No, 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 no. Remember, the premise of the whole thing is that we are exiles. That is, we live in a world where things are not supposed to be. Right? We live in a broken world. But as exiles in this world, in the meantime, we have roles to fulfill in life. You're a slave, you're a wife, you're a citizen, and in each of those roles, you have a responsibility in that relationship, right? Now, when that relationship breaks down because the Christian failed to fulfill his duties, then it does no service to the gospel. You're misrepres misrepresenting God. That's why if you look at verse 15, Peter says, Christians, you should do so good and so admirably in your roles that you make it hard for people to dismiss God and the gospel. 
You make it hard for them to do that. That is, we're model citizens. We're valued and trusted slaves or employees. We're productive. We're the best worker that they have. They can't dismiss the gospel because of what we do. And so Peter says, do that. Do so good in those roles. You submit yourself to becoming the best servant as you can be in those roles. Why? Not because of this or that person or authority. Not because of the merits of this system or that. No. Peter says, submit for what? For the Lord's sake, he says. In reverent fear of God. So you do it for the Lord. You're doing it as a servant of God. Ah, but here's the question, isn't it? Problem is, how do I do that when the government is so corrupted? When my boss is rude and harsh, abusive? In other words, why should I serve them if they're not so good people? And the answer of Peter, of course, is in verse 16. You live as free servants. That is, what he's saying is, you're no longer controlled by sin. You're no longer controlled by men. Not by their behavior anymore. See, what that means is, they can mistreat you. They can abuse you. They can make your life miserable. But what they cannot do is to stop you from doing good. They cannot stop you from serving well. They can't drag you down into the mud with them. They can't manipulate you into their games anymore. No, no, no. They, you're free from that. You're not changed like that anymore. You're free in Christ. You're absolutely free to love and serve, to be a servant. Now, how does that exactly work? Let, well, let, let, let's, let's be a bit practical here. Let's take three aspects where we can exercise our freedom. How are we free? How do you exercise that freedom? Well, for one thing, Peter says, we're free from slavishness. We're free from slavishness. Now, see, in this passage, it talks about the authorities. And it's an incredible balance here. Incredible balance. See, on the one hand, we respect the people in authorities. You respect the authorities. Why? Because the human authority is established by God's authority. That is, the Bible says God established the authority in the family, in the church, and in society. And so we're not so quick to reject them. We're, we're respectful. We, 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 we submit to them. We respect the authorities. But on the other hand, we can also judge the authorities. Why? Because ultimately, their authority is derived from God. And therefore, all people in all authority will be judged by God and his word. See, they're sent by him, Peter says. And so what that means is, even if my family says this, my culture says this, the experts say this, the polls say this, the authorities say this, at the end of the day, the Christian asks, but is this what God says? I don't care if all the authorities in the world say this, is this what God says? Do you understand, once we get this, how this should make Christians critical, independent thinkers? We're, we're not slavish like that anymore. Yes, you're a servant. You're respectful. You're submissive. But you're not a wimp. You're not easily taken in. You're not just blindly loyal to any person, party, or, or ideology out there. No, no, no. You're not groveling at the feet of someone. You're free from that. You're a free servant. You're free from that slavishness. And, al and also, you're someone who's free from vengefulness. 
See, Peter is not being naive here. He understands there's going to be cruel masters. There are going to be people who exploit the people under them. Now, Peter is not saying that we should do nothing to improve things. No, no, no. We absolutely should. We absolutely should. But in the meantime, what should we do? Should we just refuse them? Should we just disobey them? Should we just disrespect them? No, Peter says, you patiently endure and you continue to do good. You continue to serve well. Be a servant where you are. Even if you have bad managers and bad mayors. Why? Because Peter says, you're conscious of God. That you understand that it's not just me and my boss. There's someone who stands above us. There's someone who's going to judge both of us. And therefore, look, if your boss is taking it out on you, and your team, your team leader is being harsh, being unfair towards you, what do you do? Well, you can patiently endure and leave justice in the hands of the ultimate judge. And you're free from that. See, if, think about that, if you're someone who does good work when your boss is good, but you do bad work when your boss is bad, then guess what? You're just a victim, aren't you? <laughs> you're still controlled by their behaviors. But when they do evil against you, and you patiently endure, and you continue to do good anyway, then the chains have been broken. God has broken your bondages. You're no longer controlled by that. You're free. And that makes you the best kind of worker, the best kind of citizen, because even through bad managers, even through bad mayors, you continue to be the best at serving in whatever role that you have. Nothing can slow you down. You continue to be productive. You continue to produce as much value as you can for your company and your country. You're free. You don't have to divert your energies to self-pity and to, and to thinking how to get back at them. No, you can just focus on serving well. So you're free from slavishness and you're free from vengefulness and you're also free from selfishness. Here's the litmus test of a real servant. If you do good work, and then your boss punishes you for it, well, what do you do? Will you do another good work in the future? Here's why many of us, or all of us, would say no. It's because we're selfish at heart. That is, why should I continue, why should I serve you again like that if it's not going to serve me? If it's only going to harm me? Right? Why should I serve you anymore? See, Jesus says, our default is to approach relationships and, 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 and enter into relationships with people looking to be served. When you meet someone, immediately, there's this calculator in your head and you're thinking, is this person worth my time? Is this the kind of people I want to be associated with? Will, will he make me a better person? Can I get something out of this? It's me, 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 me. You're always thinking how this will serve me. But see, God says that obsession, that obsessive selfishness, he set you free from that. Jesus says when you follow him, he intends to make you into someone who's no longer looking to be served but to serve. And so when you meet people, you're not thinking, hmm, what can I get from this? How can he serve me? No, 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 you're thinking instead, how can I serve him? What can I do that's best for him? And see, 
being a real servant like that, that makes you into someone who will do good even if they don't like it. <laughs> even if they'll punish you for it. You do it anyway for their sake. You're out there to serve them, not yourself. See, a fake servant is someone who's helping you to benefit something. They're always out there helping you, always being so nice to you, always affirming you, but really they're, they're trying to get something out of you. They want you to like them. They want your respect and your admiration. Ah, but a real, real servant is someone who's going to confront you when you're wrong. Even if you punish him for that, even if you get offended, even if you hate him for that, you confront them when they're wrong, you're out for their good. When there's some blind spot, when there's some, when there's some mistake in the government, you call them out, you're out for the good. Even if you get flack for that, right? That's a real servant. That's a real servant. Some, a real servant is someone, Peter says, who suffers for doing good and you endure it. Why? Because this is commendable before God. You do it for God's sake. You do it for their sake. You're looking to serve. You're free from that obsessive selfishness that, that's always only looking to do things that's going to benefit me. You're free from that. You're absolutely free. You can, you're, you're, you're light in your service. You're light in your, in your thinking. You're not diverted. You're focused on being a servant. Are you that free? <laughs> you have to ask yourself that. Are, am I exercising that freedom that I have in Christ? Or, I be, or am I being weighed down by a ball and chain around my neck, always having to think about so many other things? See, that's the freedom of, a God's, of God's servant. And we're free to serve. Well, okay, wait. Why should I serve? Well, what am I being a servant for? What do we serve for? Well, Peter says it very clearly. To be a Christian is to be called in this way. That Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow. That is, Christ lived the life that we should be living right now. He lived the model life. He lived the perfect life so that we can trace his steps, follow his path, and know a life that is full. He's the ultimate example of what a free servant means. You want to know what true freedom means? Well, look at him. Look at Christ. It says, he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. You know what that means? That means Christ was utterly free there was no chain of sin slowing him down or restraining him. Nothing stopped him from speaking what was true. Even if you punish him for it, even if you don't like it, even if the crowds wanted him to say something else, he spoke what was true. Nothing could stop him. No pride or fear or greed ever slowed him down from loving you fiercely. Nothing could stop him from doing what was right and kind. And just, see, he was utterly free from that, utterly free. He was not chained to any slavishness, was he? He was meek as a lamb, yet he roared like a lion against the authorities, powerful authorities who were out of God's way. There was no slavishness in him. Jesus was free from vengefulness, was he? See, it says there, when they hurled their insults at Christ, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Why? 
he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, even as he served people, and the people only came to attack him and slander him and betray him and crucify him, Jesus continued to serve. To serve, to serve. Because there was no selfishness in him. He was not chained down by any selfishness to his dying breath on the cross. Jesus was a servant. He's looking to serve us. He's utterly free, the most utterly free person of all. And yet, in his vast freedom, Jesus binds himself to a life of a servant. He stooped down to wash the feet of the disciples. Day after day and, and day, what did he do? He went to the lost and he taught them. He went to the sick and he healed them. He went to the children and welcomed them. Day after day, he spent his life and his energies for people, not for his sake. That's a real servant. You want to know what true freedom, true servanthood means? Look at his life. That's the example to follow. And when you look at his life, there's this beauty there, right? There's this something so attractive about his life, something that transcends our daily lives. That's the example to follow. When you look at his life, you see Jesus stooping down to serve. Did he lose any shred of dignity in that? Was he any less important, any less capable, any less wise? No. By stooping down to submit and serve, all we saw was a glimpse of how truly great this person was, of how transcendent he was, of how beautiful he was, of how good he was. There's true greatness in that. And when you look at Jesus stooping down to serve, did he lose any freedom in that? No. All we saw was a clue as to how free this person was. Nothing stopped him from doing good and loving and kind. Utterly free, utterly a servant of all. That's the example to follow. <clears throat> and to the degree that we follow his steps, then we'll know what true freedom means. <clears throat> we'll know what true greatness means. He's a perfect example, but see, he also has to be more than an example. <clears throat> he has to be more. If all Jesus was is an example, <clears throat> excuse me, then he, his life is going to be a crushing burden, isn't it? How can I live up to that, right? All, all he's going to be is going to be, he's just another inspiration that's going to end up in my frustration. I can't do that, right? See, Jesus has to be more. He has to be your savior. You can't just keep on asking yourself in your Christian life, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? No, you always have to keep on going back. What has Jesus done? You have to keep going back there because I can't do it. He has to do it for me. He has to be my savior. See, Peter, he says, you be a free servant. And it's because Jesus is your example. And then almost as if he can't stop himself, immediately he says, it's because he himself bore our sins. He, by his wounds, you have been healed. Not, because just, not just because he's an example, it's because he's our savior, he's our Lord. See, you look at the quotation marks in that. <clears throat> Peter is actually quoting a passage from Isaiah 53. 
And it's this famous chapter that talks about the suffering servant of God. And what it is, is it's a prophecy that someday a servant of God would come and he's going to suffer. But he's not going to suffer for his sins, but he's going to suffer for the sins of the people. But he will serve anyway, even through the suffering. Now see, what Peter is saying here is, why does he bring this up? Peter is saying is, you want to know what true freedom means. You want to know what real greatness means. You want to be a free servant of God? You look at Christ. You look at the example, that's what you should follow. Look at what a free servant means, but you also have to look at the suffering servant who bears our sins, who saves us, because that's what sets us free. That's what breaks the chains. That's what liberates you. That's the dynamic, that's the rhythm behind the Christian life. That is, the way for you to learn more and more to follow the example of Christ is that you have to more and more trust him, embrace him, adore him, praise him. You have to constantly be affected by what he has done. Then you'll be free. Then the chains will fall off. Is it happening in you? Is it still happening in you? If you want to be free, if you want to be a servant of God, you look at the suffering servant. You look at him. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Learn from his ways and trust him and worship him. Then you'll be free. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, your great love sets us free. And we know, Lord, that we live in a world that calls slavery freedom and freedom slavery, and it's hard to get it right at times. But Father, we look at Christ and everything clears up. Here is freedom, here is greatness, here is service. Father, help us to follow his steps. Help us to trust you, Lord. Embrace you and adore you, Father, all the days of our lives. Help us be real servants because we seek to serve, to serve you, to serve men, not to be served anymore, Lord, because you have given us everything. You have served us through your son, through the gospel. So we are free, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, at this time, we'll spend a few moments to speak to ourselves, stir our hearts, hear our prayers. Amen. So at this time, I will invite everyone to silently reflect you on your seats and ask the Spirit of God now, not just to illuminate your mind, but to change your heart on the spot right here. And come before God. It's you and him.